three topics again this week. It's been uh, an opportunity. Let's see if I can actually test the long and the long funk. I'm going to give a trigger warning at the start of this podcast. It details issues of abuse and how I've dealt with abuse. But I wanted to start by talking about De La Soul's music catalogue going back online. Being able after probably, I don't know, 30 years now? 30 years possibly? Re-listening to De La Soul is Dead and Three Feet High and Rising. These were not seminal albums to me, but it's amazing that I talked a little bit about Boogie Down Productions and the one of the previous podcast recordings as being a music group that I listened to at the time. They sampled a lot, but apparently they didn't sample as much as De La Soul sampled. The first album, Three Feet High and Rising, has a claim of 60 samples against it. So whatever happened with De La Soul, well, basically they'd sampled too much music and they could never get to streaming the music because they had to pay royalties out to all the folks they'd sampled from. Well, this is the account that I'm given. I don't necessarily believe that to be the case. I think their catalogue was sold repeatedly and whatever. The people who held the catalogue were just no longer interested in putting it online. I'm dismayed to say that of the three members of the group, Trugoy the Dove, who passed away recently, was not the strongest member from my perspective. I like Postanus and I like Maceo. Maceo, I think, is a real character. But anyway, it was very strange last night being able to listen once again on my iPhone SE2 to De La Soul is Dead, which I think is the stronger of the two albums. It's my preference of the two albums, but it has just such catchy songs. And it was such a bit of... I mean, my perspective is I used to make music like Three Feet Rising as a kid in Canberra, Australia. So it never really had the, I don't know, the gravitas that De La Soul is Dead had. De La Soul is Dead is a real kind of catchy, it's got some, you know, nightclub hits, you know, it's moving the right direction. Three Feet Behind Rising is just pure experimentation from end to end. But I do reflect on the fact that I knew a number of the samples that they used and it was completely removed from standard hip-hop fare, which is, I think, why De La Soul has in my mind at least, kind of continued to persist. It was interesting because maybe, I don't know where Boogie Down Productions Edutainment and Daylight Soul is Dead or Three Feet High and Rising actually factor in. They're both, all rather, in a kind of globulous mass of time. And yeah, just the catchiness of Daylight Soul is Dead, I think, is worthy of a re-listen. And I think probably I'll re-listen in full at some stage. The nature of Every other band, that every other group, every other individual rapper that used samples and the fact that I've been able to listen to their music in the past 30 years without any issue, which is probably why they're at the forefront of my mind. I was also a huge fan of Ice Cube, which I didn't mention in any prior recording. Ice Cube was coming up just as when I was in LA and, you know, I really find his music. Well, the fact that he used a number of producers to keep his music fresh, really fascinating. Anyway, that is De La Sol is Dead, topic number one. Topic number two, we took our cats to the vet. We have three cats remaining. We used to have four or even five cats. So you may not know me as a cat person. I don't really know myself as a cat person, but I do have cats. Anyway, I went to the vet and we dropped the cat off at the vet. And I went to pick up the, vet, the cat from the vet last night, which was $440 odd dollars. Yes, they did blood tests and they even did x-rays. Anyway, the x-rays revealed a large tumor or two large tumors in the cat. And while I was reviewing this information, the vet thought I was doing it in a very calm, peaceful manner for someone who's just being told that their cat's about to die. Well, probably sometime in the next six months. 
But actually, I don't know, there were a combination of factors which caught me at the time, which didn't make me feel particularly emotional at this news. I knew there was something wrong with the cat. The cat's lost a bunch of weight recently. So one of those many possibilities could have been cancer, and it just turned out to be the case. So it's rather strange that, I don't know, because you don't react in in distress or, or really distraught when you see large cavities or large lumps in your animal's chest. That uh, I don't know. I was just calm about it because I feel that uh, this was a cat that I rescued when she was three weeks old and bottle fed her and combed her for fleas and did a bunch of things while she was growing up. Made sure she was the strongest, best cat that lived for probably, I don't know whether she'll live 19 years, but even living 18 years is pretty good for a cat these days. So remain stoic about this, probably because of the final topic. I've talked about this in prior podcast recordings. I've talked about this in prior podcasts. I wrote in a book called Secrets of the Little Blue Box, which is John Draper, the phone hacker's biography. And I did this and it took a considerable amount of time. And before its release, the phone hacker was me too'd, which was pretty obvious that that was one possibility of what was going on. I remain relatively close to the author while I keep in periodic Facebook correspondence with him. And I heard that it was being turned into a film, which is interesting because I'm credited in the book as a technical advisor because I went and reviewed it and said, Crunch didn't create QuickTime. You can't make claims like Crunch created QuickTime um, and a bunch of other really curious things. My writing in the book detailed what was called an energy blockage removal technique where he got on your back and got you to do push-ups. So through the release of the book and just because there was a publicist connected with the book who's still connected with this upcoming project who I don't necessarily want to say I have no time for, but I paid a bunch of money to her and she did nothing. And she is friends with the author. So that's how she is still here. While the book was prior to being published, while it was still about to be published, John Draper came out and said that he actually had become, here's the trigger warning, aroused at various points of his energy blockage removal technique which removed something which happened when I was 18 from being just what felt like physical abuse at the time because I was paralyzed to some other kind of abuse, which I don't need to detail too much here. And it's a bit like going to the dentist. I can't imagine going to the dentist and having that. This was supposed to be a a therapeutic thing that he was supposed to do. And by admitting that in, in publication, it's now part of his Wikipedia page, which is a thing. But my perspective is if you're going to do a film on this gentleman, you've got to include the full perspective, which is considerably more complicated than just a, and what was the name of the magazine? The Esquire that he appeared in in 1975, which is how I knew about him and how he came to Australia and how he came to meet me. And Crunch recently, as you might recall from a prior podcast recording, I think I recorded one, tried to get back in contact with me, and thankfully my girls are of an age where I just don't have time to get back in contact with people like John Draper. So when I heard about this film, I was initially quite interested about what potential this film could have, and then basically I realised that it was just a puff piece, and the fellow who was doing the screenplay, who allegedly was going to get in contact with me, was being paid from the Kickstarter that they were about to get out. You have these layers of just nonsense non sequiturs just things that are ongoing based on the fact that they can get money from people on kickstarter who are sufficiently disconnected from the situation to not feel that this is a a predator of any form who we are just giving more and more publicity to so that's where i sit with that 
that's the conclusion of that. I thought I'd do a longer long funk about this, but I think I've probably distilled my thoughts in a time up and coming. So now it's out in a therapeutic form, which seemed to be what Connor Sites Bowen said with regards to these long funks. I'll put it there. Tom Barbalay in Las Vegas, Nevada, signing out.